0: It's so good to be here with you I'm watching at home online. We're really glad you're tuning in, even if it's later on down the road. We're starting this new series called Death by Living. And the whole idea is a great name. I love that title. It's actually a, a title of a book that I never read. So I have no idea if you read the book, if this has anything to do with it. But the whole idea came from the fact that when we look around at the people in our church, y'all are really busy. And on Facebook this past week, I think it was yesterday, I actually put out the question, how busy are you and how stressed are you? And what blew me away is how many of you were really, really busy but not really, really stressed. And I thought, man, that's praise God, because usually there's a connection between those two things in our lives. But it's summer, and it's nice weather, and we want to make sure we soak in every possible moment that summer has to offer. And so we are. We're very, 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 very busy, Right? So we're dying a little bit, as we give a little bit of ourselves away. I don't know about any of you, but we've had sickness going through our family. And so yesterday, I'm sitting on the couch, and my boys are coming up to me, and they're saying, Daddy, Daddy, will you come outside and play with us? And I said, no. Go outside and play with your brothers. That's why your mother and I had more than one. <laughs> your dad is tired. It's been a long week. It's been a long couple weeks. I'm busy and I'm stressed and I'm tired. And they went outside and I fell asleep on the couch and then they came inside fighting and that was the end of the story, right? So the point is we go hard, we go fast and we live, 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 live. And then one day, right, you get a phone call. This happened to us a few months ago with my father-in-law. He was diagnosed with a very specific type of leukemia and uh, his doctor looked at him and said, I'm not an expert in this this is very bad news. Tom, you don't have a lot of time. You need to go see a specialist, but you need to start getting things in order. Sure enough, he went and saw a specialist, and the specialist started to talk to him about, look, there's no expiration date on the bottom of your foot. We're gonna attack this. And by God's grace, he's responding to it. But I sat in his house, we went down. Uh, I was actually on a retreat in Tennessee, a spiritual retreat. And uh, I left that retreat, I rented a car one way and I drove from Tennessee to Kentucky and uh, and I met my family in Kentucky as we came from different directions. And I remember sitting in in the family room that night and my father-in-law is processing and he's talking about and I always imagined that I would retire and I'd have time to play on the playground with the grandkids. I always imagined I'd take him to a baseball game. I'd always imagined that I would get to do this and get to do that and get to do this. And he's looking back over his life and this is a good man and he's reflecting and it's heavy and it's serious. And I'm thinking, one day I'm gonna be sitting in that chair. One day I'm gonna be there. And I don't wanna get to that place and be able to say, I always thought I would fill in the blank. Instead, I want to be able to say, I'm so glad. I'm so glad I did. It brings up a great question. Have you ever imagined what the epilogue to your life will say? You ever thought about that? This is not the eulogy a eulogy is where we just look back at your life and did they accomplish all they meant to accomplish and were they good or were they not? We tell stories, hopefully most of them are good and funny. An epilogue is a very unique thing. Actually, an epilogue is a section or a speech at the end of a book or a play that serves as a comment on or a conclusion to what's actually happened. It's a little snippet of something that says, in the story, here we are, later in the future, and this is what's happened. Sometimes it's a segue into like a new book or a sequel or something else coming up, but it's supposed to tie the future together with the past because those two things, I don't know if you know this, are directly connected. What you do today will be directly reflected in the epilogue of your life. Anybody in here read Harry Potter? Let me see, hands. Okay, how many of you watch the movies? That's it. That's what I'm talking about. Those are my people. All right. (laughs) Harry Potter is famous because at the end of it all, after this or whatever, like, journey, there's a small epilogue, and it talks to the kids 19 years in the future, and Harry Potter has uh, kids, and what it reveals to you, what it shows to you is in the future, all the pain, all the suffering of Harry's life was worth it in the end. So those of you who read it, you know what I'm talking about. How many of you have read the books, uh, The Hunger Games? How many of you watch the movies? All right, those are my people. God bless you. In The Hunger Games books, there's a really short epilogue. It literally says this. The questions are just beginning. The arenas have been completely destroyed. The memorials built. There are no more Hunger Games. But they teach about them at school, and the girl knows we played a role in them. The boy will know in a few years. How can I tell them about that world without frightening them to death? And again, in this one little paragraph, they've told you, in the future, the games are over. Okay, we answered that question. In the future, we built memorials to those who had a part in bringing down the games. Some of you are like, what's a Hunger Game? I don't know how to tell you what a Hunger Game is. It'll kind of trip you out. It's an amazing movie that'll give you nightmares. So check it out. And um, everybody's killing everybody for food, it's great. Anyway, um, and now everybody's hangry because I said food. So. And in the future, they're trying to, they're wrestling with this new reality. The games are gone, but there's this new world, and how do we tell people, and what's going on? So I decided I would try to take a crack at my own epilogue. Here's kinda how it sounded, right? Matt's kids grew up to be great men, and the Lord blessed them abundantly out of his faithfulness to his servant, Matt. Now Matt throws footballs to David and renovates heavenly homes with Peter. I like, I like home renovation, right? Like, I have a terrible arm. In heaven, I imagine myself to be the next Tom Brady. Oh, wait, we're in idiot. Peyton Manning. Sorry. <laughs> that was on purpose, I'm not going to lie. There is no Ohio State quarterback I could reference for you. Like, Craig Krenzel. Anyway, all right. Football fans know what I'm talking about. Did you know this? Did you know that God wrote an epilogue to your life? Did you know that? So if you're a Christian in here and you love God in the name of Jesus Christ, God actually penned an epilogue to your life. It's actually the last chapter in the last book of the Bible. If you have a Bible and you want to open it, you can actually look in there. You can actually open our paper Bibles that are maybe in front of you or or underneath you depending on where you're sitting. And you can actually see right there in Revelation chapter 21, in almost every English translation, it'll actually say epilogue fascinating, isn't it? Because the epilogue looks to the future and tells us what happens next as it connects our future to our past or actually our future to our present, what we're doing today. Now, if you were to back up from that epilogue point, in Revelation 21, you would actually see what I believe is really the beginning of the epilogue because it's looking forward to the future. And here's literally what it says in Revelation chapter 21, verse 5. It says this, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. It was as clear as crystal They'll see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Here's the thing as I read that, many of us go, Sounds weird. What does all this mean? And while I don't have time to go into a sermon series on the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation is highly metaphoric, and almost everything in the book attaches itself to something else earlier in the book. So I don't know if you know this, so a little Bible 101 for you, ready? The Bible begins with the book of Genesis, it's the very first book, the book of beginnings, it makes sense. And then it tells us the story of God as he interacted in history through the Hebrew people. And what God was doing to bring about the Messiah who was bringing people to himself. The Messiah's name is Jesus. And so the book of Revelation has all of these connections back to Genesis and Exodus and Deuteronomy and Leviticus and Matthew and Mark and Luke and Acts and Daniel and all these things it's connecting to. And if you don't know those things, you read and go, I kind of get it. It's kind of weird. That's basically what happens, right? Right. But if I were to walk through this, and I could spend an hour on this little paragraph alone, I won't, but as you look through it, there are really important pieces that jump out at us. Like, there's a tree of life reference. That tree of life is referenced in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 and 3. And when God created first, and he made a garden, and he placed Adam and Eve, the first of creation that were humans, in the garden, there's two trees there that are really important. One is the tree that God said do not eat of its fruit, and the other is the tree of life. And whatever the tree of life is, we have no idea. It only appears one other time in the Bible, and it's in the book of Proverbs, as it tells us that wisdom is like a tree of life. And the whole idea here is when we walk in a right relationship with God, everything in life goes good, and there's no curse upon the land. Adam and Eve sinning and rebelling against God, and then handing down that rebellion to where now we have rebelled against God. The, the world is cursed. We live in a battlefield, a spiritual battlefield, and we take part in it every day. It's where people in El Paso are getting shot on a Walmart, or if you've heard this in Dayton, Ohio this morning, we live in a battlefield. Have you ever noticed we can make medicine? For those of you who work at Eli Lilly, we make medicine out of things on the earth, and those medicines are so good for us, but they don't quite get the job done all the way. For those of you who know or have fought or have loved or fought cancer, it's like we can keep it at bay for a while. It's as if the earth was made to take care of us, but it can't fulfill its duty. That's actually the way Paul describes it in Romans chapter eight when he talks about how the earth is suffering pains because the earth wants to do more for us, but it can't. It's being restrained by our rebellion against God. So what Revelation 21 is saying, at the end of it all, at the end of your story, God is bringing everything back to the garden, back to paradise, back to the way it was intended to be, but it's going to be even better the next time around because this time there won't even be a sun. But does that mean literally there's no sun. I, I don't know. I'll tell you when I get there. Some of you will get there before me, so maybe you can tell me, but therein lies the problem. I don't know. What I do know is, if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, before the sun is even created, we've got things like vegetation and other things, and you go, how can you have vegetation without the sun? Well, it's because God was the light for all of creation. Revelation is connecting the future to the past. Are you with me? And the meaning of it is more important than the word itself, because the meaning is this. In your future... The throne of God will be the center of everything. And flowing out of the throne of God will be everything you need to be healed for today and to have a removal of all evil and pain for tomorrow. Your needs will literally be met by the presence of God himself. You won't even need the sun because you'll have him. Why is that important? Because heaven isn't just a place waiting for us to arrive. Heaven is right here, right now. Don't misunderstand, you're gonna die. The good news, you're gonna die and you will go to be with God in a very real way. But for those of us who have placed our faith in God through Jesus Christ, we are already a part of heaven in a very real way. Paul says when God gave us the Holy Spirit, he did it as like a down payment, a foretaste of the glory that's yet to come. In other words, through God today, we get to experience heaven in a little bit, not the full picture, not the completeness of it, but just a little bit. Enough to satisfy, enough to make us hope and dream and look forward to the future, enough to propel us, to change us, to challenge us, to make us look at our life and say, it's worth forgiving you because I'm going to spend forever with you anyway. Enough to say, I don't want to carry this bitterness one more day because one day I'm not going to have it at all. Enough to say, I'm going to get rid of this evil in my life that is destroying my heart and my family because I want to live in the presence of God not then, today. 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 And these things are intended to drive us. I pulled uh, I pulled five things out of that paragraph. I don't have these on a slide. If you take notes, i want to write these down, feel free. Five things listed here. Number one, there's gonna be no more curse of sin on the earth. Number two, all the wounds or traumas of this life are gonna be healed by Jesus. Number three, God would literally be the center of everything. Number four, we won't need a sun or a lamp because God himself will be our light and meet all our needs. And number five, we will serve God every moment of eternity. Now that sounds exhausting and yet it isn't, why? Well, if you're visiting with us today, if you're watching online, you're not sure about God, you're still just asking questions, you're trying to figure it out, I get it, I get it. Keep asking, keep knocking, keep showing up, keep just digging in. We may be absolutely crazy, and when you come to that conclusion, great, that's fine, we probably agree with you, I get it. But until then, just keep asking those hard questions, trying to piece it together, and I will do my best to clarify for you. But this is one I gotta anchor for you. Why in the world will we serve God for eternity? I don't know if you know this or not, but God made you to work. Again, I've said this before. If you were to study prophets uh, or um, uh, teachers of Islam, they will tell you that Allah created because he needed workers for his creation. So Allah made this beautiful creation. He painted all these planets and everything, and he needed somebody to work them. You know, He he can't just have crops propping up and nobody to take care of them. So he made people to do his bidding. But that is not the way the God of the Bible is described to us. God, as he reveals himself to us through Jesus, says he is good. He didn't need you to do anything. He is simply love. And he wants a loving relationship with you. But he also made you for a purpose. And until you find that purpose in your life, your life will constantly be frustrated and flustered by empty attempts to find what you were made for. But all of it's driven by love. Because at the end of the day, you will worship whatever you love. And therein lies our biggest problem. We love to worship many things, much lesser than God himself. Some of us love food way too much. Some of us love exercise way too much. Some of us love football if it's possible way too much. Some of us love our kids way too much our houses and our jobs and our cars and you name it. And we love these things way too much. So we spend our lives serving them and we find ourselves depleted and exhausted and everything we thought we wanted and we're working for and building up, destroyed and crumbling in front of us. And this is when we get to that place, we ask these hard questions. God, where are you? What's going on? I thought if I did these things, it would all work out. Why is it not working? And the answer was found already in Revelation 21 because one thing wasn't at the center of it all. God. When you remove God from the center of your life, then everything else you're doing becomes God for you. And my hope and my prayer has been, God, as I'm saying these words, would you just awaken our hearts to whatever it is in our life That's becoming that. Because see, the goal for our life, the only way you can write the epilogue to your life, the only way you can get there is if today, today you are partnering with God to bring heaven to earth. You are partnering with God to do what he has described your future will look like. So how is your life reflective of heaven today? Are you partnering with God to deal with the traumas of this life and other people? Today, is God literally on his throne at the center of your heart and of your life today? Do you make your decisions for your family, for your schedule, for your calendar, for your money based off who God is today? Do you find yourself having margin in time to serve him and partner with him? You're gonna do it for eternity. Are you doing it today? Because remember, the epilogue is only working, it's only beneficial if it's reflective of what you're doing today. So then what do I do with all of this? Well, above anything else, we're gonna talk through this series about making sure that we rest well and making sure that we play well and making sure that we do certain things well. But before we can do any of those things, we must, must, must anchor our soul to the most important thing, and that is God himself. In fact, let me just give you a few quick verses. Take a look with me. at James, chapter four, verse five. I'm just reading the verse part here. There's a lot more to say on this, but we're gonna go quick. James says, come close to God, and God will do what? Come close to you. In other words, I love Max Cato said it this way. Imagine a journey of a 1,000 miles, God has taken up 999 of them. He's waiting for you to turn and walk towards him. And the moment you turn and walk towards him, he's gonna take up the rest of that mile and make up the difference. God is not distant from you. God is near to you, but you need to draw near to him and let him come be central in your life. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus says, seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness. By the way, he goes on and says, and he'll take care of all of your food and your clothing and all your needs. But put him first above everything else. And then watch what he does when he starts showing off in your life. Mark chapter 12, verse 29, Jesus is asked, what's the most important thing we have to do? Jesus says, the most important thing is this, <clears throat> hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Make sure that he gets the best and the first of you. Like well, pastor, if I give God my best and my first, I'm not gonna have anything left for anybody else. No, no, maybe it's your first time I'm here. I talk about this all the time. When God gets your best and your first, then he gives you what you need for everybody and everything else. It flows from him to you, through you, to them. This is why Isaiah could say, those who are in the Lord will run and not grow weary, will walk in, not faint. How's that possible? How's it possible to not get worn out? Because I'm simply doing what the Father has asked me to do. It doesn't mean I don't ever need a nap. I'm gonna need a nap today, because those kids wouldn't let me nap on the couch yesterday. I'm gonna need a nap today. but I will not be depleted in the Lord because I'm abiding in him and he's directing my life. Colossians chapter three, verse 17, Paul writes, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, And there's this one part of my job, oh, I just can't stand filling out this paperwork. You know what I'm talking about? Man, I can't stand returning these phone calls to complaining customers. I absolutely cannot stand when my patients try to, I just wish everybody would stop. If I have to change one more diaper, why do the ladies laugh at that one? I mean, I talk to moms all the time. I'm so tired of doing laundry day after day. I'm so tired of dusting day after day. I'm so tired of cooking day after day. Some of your husbands need to step up, but I get it. But when everything you do comes from God being at the center, then everything you do is done in praise of Him. Make sense? So the answer for all of us is not to do more, not to try more, not to experience more. The answer for all of us is to draw near more, to be in his presence, to rest in his presence, to draw our strength and our life and our energy from his presence, to get the wisdom that we need to know how to lead from his presence to make the decisions that need to be made for all those hard things that you're dealing with from his presence. And when you don't have what you need, not to try harder, not to give more, not to deplete yourself, not to burn out the relationships in your life, but to stop and put everything else on hold and say, I need to be with my father. That's why we're told Jesus' regular practice was to wake up while it was still dark and to be with God. Why? Because everybody else was asleep and there were no more distractions. That's why sometimes Jesus, after a long, not just day, but period, a week or or days of ministry, would stay up all night long to be in the presence of his Father, because he knew, while tomorrow I might need to take a nap on a boat in the middle of a storm, when the boat's going under, I'm not worried about it, because I need to be here above anything else, because here is my life, and here is my strength, and here is my hope, Let me just ask you, what is one thing you need to do to draw near to God right now? Are you finding what you need for life from him? Or are you trying to manufacture it on your own? Because like any good manufacturer plant, sooner or later, the parts wear out. And it breaks down and you aren't going to have what you need when you need it. What is one thing you need to do? Look, maybe you're new at this thing called God and maybe visiting with us today, and you're even convicted. The Spirit's speaking to you. God's speaking to you right now, and you're going, I know I need to put God center. What do I do next? It's a great question. Might I just suggest one small thing? I recommend you take 15 minutes a day and talk to God. I highly recommend in that talking, you just pull out one book of the Bible. I recommend if you're new at this, you don't know what to do, grab the book of Mark. Just read one chapter. You just pray, God, today, would you reveal your will to me? In Jesus' name, amen. That's it. That's all you gotta do. Read one chapter. You can even say, God, I don't know what to do with this, but I'll be back tomorrow. Here's why I'm saying that. My friend Mark Moore, um, who's a pastor at a large church in Arizona, Mark Moore recently wrote a book called Core 52, and I didn't even think about putting the picture up for you, but the goal is to take one verse a day for 52 weeks a year. I think it's a verse every week. I haven't looked at it yet. I don't know, but the goal is to take the most important verses and just drive them into our hearts. But he says this. There's a study that was done that showed those who engage with God's word four times a week or more, experienced 62% less drunkenness, 59% less use of pornography, 59% less sexual sin, and they gambled 45% less. And said, so this isn't just guilt manipulation, which is what we're told. That's all it is. It's just a crutch. Bible-engaged people have better self-perceptions, which leads, oh, sorry, which results in healthier relationships. They report 40% less bitterness, 32% less destructive thoughts, 32% less isolation, 30% less loneliness, and an increased ability to forgive by 31%. Bible engagement is the single greatest predictor of spiritual growth. Why? Because you're drawing near to God. And he's drawing near to you. But let me tell you how this is gonna go. Because this is my story, and, and you can help me and tell me if I'm not the only one. I get motivated by messages like this, and I, get, I come up with these great plans. Okay, God, I'm going to put you first. I'm going to do this. I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning at 5 a.m., God, so that we have all this time to spend together, and I'll do great for like two days or three days, four days, or maybe a week, but then I have a stressful day or two in a row and I stayed up too late or I watched TV or played on whatever, my iPad too long or whatever it is and so the next day comes like, well God, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna do it in the afternoon. God, I'm gonna get up later, tomorrow and then the next day, I'm gonna do it before I go to bed. God, because I wanna make sure you're the last thing on my mind at night and then I forget and then I miss a day or two and then I feel guilty and I'm like, oh well, I don't know why God did this anyway and here's the thing, I'm usually giving up the wrong thing to draw near to God. So that it doesn't last. So let me ask you this quick question. What is one thing you need to stop doing in order to have the margin, have the time, to draw near to God? And I'll just suggest to you, it's probably not what you think it is. And that's what we're going to talk about for the next three weeks. What are those other things that we need to hold on to? Because I'll just throw one out there real quick. Sleep is probably not one of them. And if you think you're gonna just go, 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 until you have nothing left, and then you're gonna wake up early, it is an unsustainable model. God did not build you for that. Oh, yeah, but you said Jesus stayed up all night. Yep, I did, you're right. And he napped a lot. And his entire life was built around walking in the presence of God. And he didn't have to go in and punch a ticket and come out and live an hourly work schedule. His entire life was different than yours in every way. And if you think you're just gonna sacrifice sleep and draw into the presence of God, you're probably missing something. So then what do you need to stop doing? Well, really, only you can answer that. But if God is at the center of your life, I wanna challenge you right now. Do something drastic. Don't put a Band-Aid on a gaping wound. Draw near and find what you are looking for. In him. If we come back to the book of Revelation, we actually get to the part where we're actually at the epilogue in your Bible if you had that open and saw that. Revelation chapter 22, it says this. Look, I am coming soon. It's Jesus talking. My reward is with me. And I will give to each person according to What? what they have done. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Why is that such a powerful phrase? Because what Jesus is trying to do is to anchor your life in him. Before you were ever on the scene, before you ever had this job, before you ever owned your house or your car, before you ever had these kids, before you were even a twinkle in your parents' eye, before any of that, God was. So he's greater than, more important than anything else in this world. And he's the beginning and he's the end. So your life won't find meaning, your life won't find purpose until it finds itself between his beginning and his end. And when it does, you'll find yourself walking with him. And when he comes back, he will reward you according to what you did with him. That's your epilogue. The end of your story is what did I do today with him? Now listen, I know this message falls in a thousand different kinds of places. Some of you are being convicted of sin right now. Some of you are just being convicted of the fact that it's been summer and you've been running around doing everything else, but you've drawn away from your father. Some of you are hearing about God for the first time and the centrality of God and maybe in your heart going, I want God to be the center of my life. I know this lands all over the place. So let me just make it land in one place as we gather together at this one place. Because the last thing that Jesus said is not, be faithful to me and I'll reward you. The last thing Jesus said, Revelation chapter 22 Look at verse 17, not literally the last thing, but he says this, the spirit and the bride, meaning the Holy Spirit and the church, together, together we say come. Let the one who hears say come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. In other words, the the piece, the last piece of this book is Jesus saying, this is a free invitation. Anybody who wants to live, come to me. Anybody who wants life, come to me. Anybody who wants to never thirst again, come to me. Anybody who's tired of striving and chasing, come to me. And be filled of all of your longings, come to me. And Jesus says, and I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. What do we wanna do right now? is pray a prayer of rest back to God. We want to thank him for all he has done and refocus our heart and our lives on him. Would you join me in praying and then we're gonna worship him. Heavenly Father, we live in the most distracted time in the history of the world. Between TV and things like Netflix, between cell phones and tablets and computers and the internet and sports and activities and resources abounding. We have more money to spend and more things to do than in the history of the world. And God, for some of us, it is killing us. It is destroying us. Not that we don't have energy because caffeine will keep us going tomorrow. It's destroying us and that slowly, We are disengaging from you and we're dying inside. God, let this be a call to action. God, in any way that we have not placed you first right here, right now, we repent. And we ask you to heal us to cleanse us and to draw near to us, God, as we draw near to you and to fix us and to heal us and to give us purpose and meaning in our lives and may you be praised forever in us and all God's people say.